Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Renegade Home Theater. This is your host, Keona. With me tonight, I have Hayden. Hello. And I have Jacob. What's up, y'all? All right, guys, we have five movies to cover, so let's get started. Uh, first of all, before we move on, I do want to mention the fact that the legendary actor Christopher Plummer passed away yesterday at mm. the age of 91. Um, do you guys have any particular memories of him and his performances that you would like to share? I remember him in Knives Out, and that seemed like a nice um, reflection of him as an actor and all his personality until, like, especially in his young, older years when he sort of became the wise grandfather, kind of had that sly sense of humor to him. And yeah, he lived an incredible life, spanning amazing countless amazing projects and he leaves behind a great legacy that's not going to be topped anytime soon. I have very fond memories of watching him in The Sound of Music when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I love that movie and even if he did not love that movie and and uh called it The Sound of Mucus um (laughs) that is a true story um but like, even though he didn't like the movie, like he still like gave it his all and it's still like a great performance. And I just find that speaks to a lot of like the power that he had as a performer. Um, mm-hmm. um, I believe he still has the record of um, oldest uh, winner of the Academy Award. Yeah, uh, for beginners. At, at least for acting. And then he was nominated for um, just replacing a certain person in another movie. Oh, yes. um, that <laughs> shall not be named um, in uh, in all the money in the world money in the world yeah um, and like his 20 minutes were probably the most memorable thing about that movie despite it being shot like it's like just to replace uh, somebody <laughs> and he was the first choice in the first place so sometimes things just work out like that yeah, um, I, I have to echo that, Hayden, um, your uh, Sound of Music memories as well. Um, I thought he he just really owned that movie um, as much as Julie Andrews did as well. Both of them, just fantastic performers, and they gave it their all, and so nice to hear that they became close friends over the years. Um, I, I thought, you know, he's just brilliant in every single role that he took on, and you could tell he was a consummate professional no matter what his personal feelings were, he just, he really laid it all out there for everybody and just was an immense actor, an immense legend of a person. So rest in peace, uh, Christopher Plummer. And um, that was a tough one for me personally. He lived a long life though, and he really left a legacy for all of us to enjoy. So moving on now, uh, we have our first movie, uh, Jacob. You're the guy in charge, so what would you like to cover first? Well, I think we should cover a more upbeat uh, um, have movie that we have a much rosier opinion than some of the other movies we'll be talking about soon. Um, okay. One Night in Miami. Ah, so, great choice. <laughs> One Night in Miami is a big hypothetical where Jim Brown, Sam Cooke, Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X all share uh, their time in a hotel room in Miami 
and it's about their conflicting philosophies, particularly, it's more specifically Malcolm X and everyone else, because Malcolm X, he's decided to burn some bridges. Uh, he departs the nation of Islam, and, you know, in his relationships with um, everyone else um, is essentially put to the test, um, especially um, Jim Cook, um, um, for he believes uh, making music that sort of panders to the white man, basically. And Sam Cook, for the record. What? Sam Cook. Sam, oh, did I say Jim Brown? It's, uh, you said uh, Jim Cook, it's uh, Sam. Oh, Cook. sorry, Sam, sorry. Um, Sam okay. Cook. Um, yeah. So Sam Cook, and yeah, that's basically. It's a reflection of these four historical titans and what their legacy will end up being. It's it's the directorial debut of Regina King, who has previously won a Academy Award for her performance in If Beale Street Could Talk. And she does a marvelous job, I believe, in her debut. Yeah. So, I'll discuss my thoughts a little more, but what do you think, Kiona? I liked it. I thought it was very, very good. Um, you're going to hear me say this a lot throughout this show. Uh, performances. It, it's all about the performances. Excellent, excellent job. Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke. Uh, mm. You guys know how much I respect this man as an actor and as a performer, as a musician. Uh, I first you know, uh, knew of him through a show called Person of Interest, where he played uh, uh, like a privacy terrorist, almost. <laughs> Which was, uh, you know, because that show was basically about um, a surveillance state and everything and AI and stuff like that. And so he came on and he played a guy named Peter Kingsley and he was like a uh, he was like a like an armed terrorist guy who was fighting for people's privacy to be protected. Mm. So that interesting role for him. Yeah. Uh, very different from everything else that he's done since. But um, I, I thought that he was a great part of that show. And then to see him in Hamilton and to see him in this, it's just like, yeah, his star just keeps on rising, in my opinion. So what a great actor. Um, Kingsley Ben-Adir as Malcolm X. You know, do you guys, did you guys also get this? Did you get the sense that he could play like a young Barack Obama? Actually, I wasn't thinking that at first, but now that you say it, yeah, that totally works. Yeah, I could see him play that because he just has the speech pattern. I don't know, it's just something... But um, his performance as Malcolm X was terrific. Uh, you could see the conflict that he was facing and his sort of internal strife over his decision to leave the Nation of Islam. And then, of course, what happens to him in the end of the film. I know that this was uh, a fictitious idea, but um, he was just, yeah, just a, a hell of a performance by him. Um, Eli Gore or Gori? as Cassius Clay slash Muhammad Ali. Um, I have never heard of him before. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else. He nailed it. Mm. All those yeah. times in the ring where he was like, I'm the greatest, you know, it's just like, yeah, it, it's echoes of Muhammad Ali, just perfect. Yeah, spinning image. Yes, yes, absolutely. And Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown, uh, the, the voice, the presence, yeah, utterly just great casting. Um, yeah. I liked some of the cameos in there as well. We had Bo Bridges in there as 
as just, uh, uh, you know, at first you thought he was nice to Jim Brown because yeah. he was complimenting him, and then he just ends up being a horrible person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Bo Bridges is a terrific character actor. Um, he has, yeah, he he did a he did a yeah. great job there. It's just me, or have his eyebrows just gotten bigger though? Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not just, just you. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, and I got to mention one more guy for me because it's uh, Lance Reddick as as Brother Kareem. I love him. That guy is amazing. Have you guys ever seen like you guys should look up this video where he did that? That's called like Toys Are Me. Mm. Yeah, where it's like a spoof video that he did for like uh, College Humor or something like that, and it was just one of the funniest things I've ever seen. But anyway, had, Lance Reddick, he's just I adore him in the John Wick films. Like he's so yes. he's so yes. good in John Wick. I just like. Yes. I love that that performance and that character. Yeah, yeah. agreed, agreed. Um, thematically, I think that it was such an interesting film and such an interesting idea to have them all like in the same hotel room and just discussing their their various approaches to how they would, you know, how they live their lives and how they combat racism and and just and face it down every single day of their lives. And um, Regina King's direction was impeccable. The screenplay by Kemp Powers is amazing. The cinematography was great. I just, yeah, I, I would say this movie is one of the films that of this bunch that I would highly, highly recommend. Yeah, and, and this is actually based off Kemp Powers' play, I should know. And well, that's right. And he was also he was also the co-director for Soul for Pixar. No kidding. Wow. So yeah, he's got a bright future ahead of him. I didn't him. realize that. Okay. So yeah, um, all the actors are just phenomenal and what like and what I like is you can actually tell that a lot of them they have very distinct personalities. Mm -hmm. Like Muhammad Ali, he's kind of like the big teddy bear, and uh, Jim Brown is you know he's he's the football type. You know he's the cool guy yes. basically. Yeah. And also talks about his transition to become an actor. Um, Sam Cook is the fun guy. You know he's just the light on his feet, the lighthearted mm -hmm. guy. You know and. And he really sells um, when uh, Malcolm X is basically bad mouthing him and saying, calling him an Uncle Tom, basically. Like, yeah. Basically yeah. saying this lyrics songs aren't incendiary enough. And, um, yeah. And uh, Malcolm, he's, he's basically the intellectual, you know, he's the kind of the serious one. He's just the, mm -hmm. he's just the stone cold, um, yeah, type of guy. And, and a lot of that comes from his conversion to Islam. And um, it's yeah. This movie it actually oddly it actually takes place a few months before um Malcolm X went to Mecca, which is an requirement for Muslims to Muslims. And that he and he soft enough towards white people when he saw that there were white Muslims too. Yeah. Um, about Sam Cooke, like you can tell, like the friction between him and Malcolm is so believable. You know, it's basically yeah. like you know where Malcolm is coming from, but at the same time, you also um you feel you feel Sam's passion too, like, and you do feel sorry for him because the movie starts off like all of them. It's basically them um, being, you know, getting the short end of the stick, basically. Like with Muhammad losing, and in, um, in a boxing match in London, um, Sam Cook he's performing the Copacabana, and the white audience doesn't like that he's he's covering a song. Um, that they thought was better covered by Debbie Reynolds. Did that remind you of the end of Ma Rainey? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was gonna mention that this would be a great double feature with a uh, Ma Rainey. Um, yeah. 
Um, and- one, the other aspect I really liked, um, like that I thought was really interesting, um, was uh, how uh, was how they touched on um, colorism. Mm-hmm. And how Malcolm X was like a lighter skin tone. I thought that was like a really yeah um, fascinating like like I like like it's something I hear about a lot like within the black community, and it was like a an interesting uh, conversation of how like he was lighter skinned than like a lot of the people in the out of the four. And yeah, I just thought that was a really interesting yeah. Discussion. Yeah, a lot of lot of ideas that were discussed in this film that you wouldn't really think of, especially you know if you're not a, a black person watching the film. Um, I felt that, yeah, certain things that they brought up, certain topics that they brought up were just completely, you know, just just a, a different perspective than I'd ever seen before. Yeah, and movie it makes you question the value of martyrdom, basically the the value of um, incendiary kind of. Um, revelatory speeches and you know what what black power really means to them because to them it just means doing whatever you want without people complaining essentially well white people complain about it it's basically the power is using doing what you want to do without really having to make a statement about it yeah being your being your authentic self without having people judge you yep and and also um, and movie shows Malcolm X, he is kind of putting his family in danger when he um, cuts all these ties with um, the counts with the nation of Islam. And, you know, he and the movie kind of questions, like, you know, is, is, is martyrdom, is it a necessarily better form of speech than entertainment? Like, like than sports or music, you know, or boxing, you know, it, it's kind of, it makes you, it kind of makes you value both and Elias both representation and arts and also just, you know, like have, being a real firebrand for civil rights and such, you know, not, like not, it, no, the movie, it even, um, they even call out Malcolm X for when JFK was assassinated. He said it was the chickens coming home to roost. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. kind of like, like, oh, Malcolm, are you really sure you want to do that? You want, you want to draw that much of a target on your back? I see what you're saying. I I think that um, with Malcolm X's character in this movie, the way that he was presented, I, I felt like I felt like he was a very principled man who who was doing, I think, the right thing. I think he was standing up for the right thing. But I I I do see your point in terms of like, you know, it was just that he was going to be in danger anyway. Yeah. to be honest, because he was such a firebrand and he was already on the front lines even after Martin Luther King had been assassinated. Um, I think that he was, you know, already, he already had a target on his back. And so he was just, he's a man who wanted to do everything that he could for the cause that he believed in. And if the cost of that was his own life, I felt like he would have said it was worth it. Yeah. It actually kind of ends with that quote saying, like, again, like the movie, it kind of critiques that because they do, the the guys, his friends, they kind of end up feeling like props, basically feeling like tools for his movement. Like, um, you know, like, like Muhammad, he at one point feels used um, by Malcolm, like when he converts to Islam, you know, kind of like. Yeah, initially he's. He's a bit, uh, you know, he kind of, he brings that up to him and he says, he says, so you're just using me for basically a publicity stunt, which yeah. I don't think he was, but I, th- I think that 
there was also like you could you know you could misconstrue that um yeah it like i said it, it kind of it both um criticizes um you know that spirit that malcolm had also celebrates it at the same time which i didn't think they would be able mm-hmm. to pull off but they really did because at the end basically sam cook does what does what Malcolm had suggested to him, which was, you know, after he played the Bob Dylan song that he said, he said, Bob Dylan put more feeling into this song than you have in any of your hit songs. <laughs> and, you know, we just called it a task on that. And Sam Cooke in the end does write a song that's as powerful, you know, as, as what Malcolm basically told him to write. And it's, it's a powerful song. It's a great song. Yeah. It's definitely going to be up for an Oscar. So yeah. Hey, anything I, you want to add? Uh, I don't really have much else to say, but I just like this was a really well done movie. It was like very like the performances just all clicked together. It felt very organic. And yeah, it was a very, very incredibly well done film. And uh, Regina King, um, um, this being her first feature length movie, she's directed shorts before this. Mm-hmm. I, I, I I see like a very um, bright future ahead of her. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. As a director, I mean. Yes, yes. Yeah, she did a great job. Yeah, like you could kind of tell this movie was based on a play, um, you know, because, and honestly, it kind of reminded me more than anything, um, kind of the two, remember the two popes, um, that Netflix movie? Oh, yeah. That was also, that discussed um, larger than life people who are also conflicting a, a about you know where their place in the world is and wow how to um you know how to um deliver a message to um mm-hmm. their followers and stuff you know and and then butting heads of course and and the fact that that was also based on a play um but you know yes. this movie it managed to be cinematic enough to where you could um look past the fact that it was based off a play just because of the direction and the performances and again, that fits in with with the Ma Rainey thing, like doing this as a double feature because they're both based on plays. Yeah, yeah. It, you also talk about, and both movies talk about um, whether or not uh, black music should appeal to white tastes and such, and they mm-hmm. like about you know what should be, you know how how should um, they try to reach um, their respective audience and such. Do you think it's an inherently political film? Um, it is well if, by political. You just mean you know advocating for representation, and and I, I don't think in that regard it's not necessarily. It is a it, it has a lot in its mind about the civil rights movement. Um, and you know, kind of you can kind of like ask that question today is like how much should black art you know be um be trying to appeal to a white audience? And so I think it's absolutely. Though I, it's relevant, I think. You know, I, I, I tend to, I tend to be of the the opinion that that art speaks for itself. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it is what it is, and then it's up to the viewer to interpret it. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's absolutely a political film, and yeah, yeah I mean, it, like, I mean, there is an aspect that all art is inherently political. Political. Yes. And, but I think this one wears it pretty um on its sleeve it's like very it's like a very um well done um message that uh people uh should i think should really give a look at Mm -hmm. 
I, I think it presents an ideological argument in in each case with each character that that yeah. is something where people can actually look at this and learn from it. Yeah, there's like a lot. There's a lot of nuance. Yeah, seen um, in how they interact, and it's a very interesting, both as a character study and a narrative. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, Regina King, what a job! Your your first like huge directorial debut, and just nail it as perfectly as you have. So, yeah, uh, I really liked it. Highly, highly recommended, like I said. All right, Jacob, should we move on to the next one? Uh, one, one Night in Miami, you can watch it on Amazon. Oh, yes, yes, thank you. Yeah, Amazon um, Prime. The next movie uh, is a big reason why we had Hayden on board, because he suggested this uh, promising young woman. Ooh. Hayden, want to start this off? Yeah, so... Um, without spoilers, um, Promising Young Woman is the directorial debut of Emerald Fennel. Mm-hmm. It tells the story of a woman who at one point was an aspiring doctor um, who had um, her life completely shifted um, bef- um, before she dropped out of medical school. And the whole movie is really about um like ultimately about um the about trauma that uh women go through and in a very in a very darkly comedic way um the movie is pretty divisive but i myself am a huge fan uh carrie mulligan is the star with a great ensemble cast including bo burnham molly shannon um jennifer coolidge um alfred molina Mm-hmm. Um, so Alvin yeah, Brie. yeah, Clancy sure. Brown, yeah, mm-hmm. great cast, um, and a really interesting script that I just happen to love. Yeah, promising young woman. This was a very um, electrifying debut, I should say, enough from another very promising female director. Um, yeah, it's also a movie that has a lot in its mind. Um, you know, it's a very, it's definitely a Me Too era movie. We'll just put it that way. It's a very, it's, you know, it's harrowing when it needs to be. Like you said, hey, it's also darkly comic when it needs to be. It, it, it builds up to a finale that at first may not be satisfying at first, but it really becomes so um, when it's closer to the end. Um, yeah, Keon, yeah. what do you think? Favorite movie of the bunch right wow. here. Wow. Favorite movie of the bunch, yes. Uh, I, I got to say, this movie... <laughs> I I don't know what I was expecting watching it um coming into it because I just I you know I looked at it I looked at the trailer I was just like man I don't I don't know really if I'm going to like this watched it it was amazing uh the the cameos are great in this movie like, like Adam Brody is your first cameo that's that's something Christopher Mintz class uh you know and Allison Brie who I love so dearly she's so great um, Connie Britton was in this too. And of course, Alfred Molina, you know, you got Bo Burnham, you got, uh, Clancy Brown, Jennifer Coolidge, Molly Shannon even is in this. Oh, <laughs> also Laverne Cox. Laverne Cox is in right, this. Right, Laverne Cox. There's yes. so many people in this. It's like, yes. yeah. it's yeah. just, this ensemble is just so, so perfect. Like even, everybody, uh, Max Greenfield as well. Yeah. In there, um, and 
Yeah, and something really interesting about the casting is like with the guys especially is like they really cast a lot of like people who are known as like quote unquote nice guys and really like puts that to test. Like very likable actors. Yeah, like they're known for being like the kind of dorky, fun, nice guy and it just really puts the whole yeah to task. The character actors. Yeah. Like it's a very deliberate choice and I really applaud um, Emerald Fennel and for going there and doing that. Yeah. Now, now Emerald uh, Fennel, she ha- she's from The Crown, right? Yeah, she played um, Cam- uh, Camilla. Okay, uh, okay. On uh, season four of The Crown, so quite an interesting year for her. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, she this is her feature film debut as well as a director, isn't it? And and um, maybe not as a screenwriter, but as a director, right? Uh, definitely as a director. Um, she's also a uh, written for the show Killing Eve, which is a great show right. if you haven't watched it. Mm-hmm. Watch Killing Eve, it's great. And this was produced by Margot Robbie's company, I believe. Yeah, that, chap? correct. Yeah, so um, so just to get to the plot now, I, I think that for me personally, I was riveted watching this film because I just didn't know what the heck was going on at first. Like the way that they played that first intro where you meet Adam Brody and he just kind of, you know, he acts like Adam Brody, you know, he acts like a like a down to earth dude just trying to help out this this poor woman who's apparently like blackout drunk, takes her to his place. And then all of a sudden you find out that, well, it's not what you think. And that to me was shocking. Like I remember I, I watched this very late at night. So like when that scene happens where she like, you know, the reveal occurs and and she's like, excuse me, what were you going to do? I just freaked out a little bit because i was just like whoa this is like this is next level okay i like it i already like it um just going through you know going through the the events of the film uh when she met bo burnham did you did you guys kind of catch on that something was up with him at first um not at first no um but what they would do this character it's 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 pretty heartbreaking actually because you know like you know because you do get a sense that maybe this woman, you know, she like she even um, approaches this one woman who's attached to um, her trauma, her current mm-hmm. drama, and she says, you know, just kind of let it go, you know, like I don't want you to go down this path. And later, she finds herself no choice but to keep going down, keep doing this method of tracking down predators and stuff. It's because, yeah, and it's it, it's a movie it. It, it reveals a lot about these characters, I think, you know, and it also, if you know that this uh, woman, she does some kind of morally gray stuff, at least at first, you know, like of how she tries to essentially get revenge on the people who were um, involved in this certain unfortunate events, you know, like, because how, how she basically makes them feel the trauma that she felt. Yeah, Car- Carrie Mulligan in this is is excellent, uh, well deserving of of an award nomination in my opinion. Um, she plays Cassandra, her character as just this sardonic, like you know, darkly witty person who is stuck in like a dead end job and almost in a dead end life. Like her whole life is consumed by this need for revenge, essentially. Yeah. for what happened to her best friend. And I think that the way that she plays it, she kind of understates that, 
like this is not like this is not like a death wish revenge flick this is not like um like a you know like a peppermint with jennifer garner where she goes and gets all buff and starts like training how to shoot machine guns and stuff. yeah <laughs> like, like this is the the total utter opposite of all those revenge flick thriller type films and she's not a superhero but what she is is she's cunning and she's smart and she's you know just got that that wicked sense of humor i just i love her character so much um and what she does to them she doesn't she has a line that she doesn't quite go across except for a couple of instances. And in those instances, she kind of lands in trouble for them. So there is a consequence even to her actions. Yeah. So I just feel like, uh, you know, the way that the film actually goes through her life and gives us a picture of where she's at, um, it, it does an incredible service to her character and her development. And the fact that she has an out, she could get out of this lifestyle that she has, but she doesn't. So, and then in so, the end, then in the end, it's, you know, I won't say what happens because we don't want to spoil it, but the ending was so shocking to me. I, I just, I, I couldn't believe that they did what they did. And then just, yeah, it, I was shook. <laughs> yeah. So anything you want to add, add Hayden? Yeah. It's just like a very, interesting piece that's like going to be divisive but like i think that makes for a more interesting film sometimes when like the ending is like very um um divisive and people argue over it that makes for interesting discussion and i like it when movies are ultimately brave enough to make that choice um this is a very it's i like to say that this movie is a tragedy in disguise as a comedy. And it, it does that balance for me. It did that balance beautifully. Mm -hmm. And you really understand where the characters are coming from, even understand specifically where Carrie Mulligan's character is coming from, even if um, you understand that it's a result of uh, trauma and like mm -hmm. what that does to a person. Kind of using that trauma actually um, to stop other people from feeling that trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead, Jacob. No, no, no. You go. Oh, I, I got a couple more points. Uh, one was I wanted to ask you guys a question. But before I get to that, uh, what I wanted to say is that, you know, all, all these there's there's a certain amount of criticism where people are saying that this movie is against men. And I don't feel that at all. No. I, I think that because she actually she takes down a couple of women in this movie that that sort of are part of the establishment that sort of you know, brought about the the terrible thing that happened to her in the past and to her friend in the past. Um, yeah. You know, so they are a part of the system, the corrupt system that she kind of rages against. And yeah. she she does, you know, she does go after them. Like it, it's not a it's not a gender focused thing. It's a thing about just getting justice for her friend or, or yeah. getting vengeance for her friend. And she even um, spares Alfred Molina at one point, even though he she was does. involved as well. Yeah, he, he says that he regrets, you know, the, the part that he played in this trauma. And, you know, there's even when she walks out, there's a guy out, out front snubbed by his car or her car. And he's like, you want me to go in? And she says, no, you know, don't, you know, just leave him alone. Yeah. And she accepts it because of how, you know, she felt that his, his, repentance to her is yeah. you know the fact that he says i want you to hurt me 
yeah it uh you know it it's it speaks to how haunted he is by it as well so yeah it, it's she even she thinks that some people can be redeemed yeah yeah i don't think she's a horrible person see that's the thing i don't think that she's a bad person necessarily i just think that she is putting herself in a dangerous situation and she she is kind of obsessed with this idea but at the same time you also understand where she's coming from so it's not a cut and dried character it's a very complex character and i feel like that complexity is missing from a lot of these revenge flicks yeah uh, where it's just you know like like that movie peppermint for instance yeah. um i don't know how many people saw that really it, it's not worth it in my opinion Right. like you know as much as i love jennifer garner but i mean she she just she takes out the the guys that kill her that killed her family within the first like 15 minutes of the film or 20 minutes of the film and you don't even see her do that there's right. no catharsis there it's just you know it it's just nope she's gonna just climb up the chain of this gang or whatever and it's just like it's it's stupid um i didn't like that movie <laughs> so like uh, lots of this movie then. kind of Right, yeah, and well, rightfully so, I think. And and this movie is just an upending of that, and just a, um, yeah, it's it's a much better film, in my opinion. Um, it also, you know, the way that they wrote this screenplay and her character reminded me a little bit of this of of The Last of Us Two, then the video game, and I think they handled the whole revenge trip better here than they did in that game, mm. quite frankly. So, um, you know, and of course we, we can talk about that on another episode of the arcade. I'll probably mention it at some point, but, yeah. uh, my question to you guys is, did you think that the ending without spoiling anything, did you think that the ending was too contrived for its own good? Like no. The very end ending? No, I, I didn't think so. For me, I think the ending made like the whole movie, like, like worthwhile. Like if it, I don't, if it didn't have that ending, I still would have liked the movie, mm. but I don't uh, see myself loving it as much as I do without the ending. Mm. I agree. Yeah. Like I said, it's satisfying at the very end, even though it doesn't seem like it at first. Mm -hmm. And the, I'm not going to uh, mention anything else, but um, I will never hear one specific song the same way ever again. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, yeah. I think. <laughs> Actually, two songs. I, I'll, I'm going to say... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Two songs specifically. Two songs, yeah. I got you. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. What a movie. I I just I I loved it so much. Yeah. Like I said, it's my favorite of the five that we chose for this podcast. So. Yep. Right. So uh, so you guys can watch Promising Young Woman. Uh, it's available for rent on pretty much all the digital platforms. It costs nineteen ninety nine for the rental. So it is one of those premium VOD films. But uh, to me, it's well worth it. Deserves to be premium, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Support them, support them, give them some money. All right, should we move on? All right, so um, our next movie is the recent and <laughs> Warner Brothers and HBO Max's um, current release strategy, um, The Little Things. Kiona, I want you want to start us off with this one? Sure. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to just, uh, I'm going to read off of wikipedia here so that i don't have to put too much thought into coming up with a synopsis but basically little things is a 2021 american neo-noir 
crime film. I say that's being generous. Written and directed <laughs> by John Lee Hancock, who also did The Blind Side, and he's done like a whole bunch of other movies. I think he did The Founder as well. Yeah, and the, Saving Mr. Banks. Saving Mr. Banks, yeah. And produced by Hancock himself and Mark Johnson, who is also the co-screenwriter, uh, I believe, or co-producer, I should say. The plot follows two police officers, Denzel Washington and Rami Malek, who try to catch a serial killer in 1990 Los Angeles when they find a strange man played by Jared Leto. Our favorite human being. <laughs> Take us to the <laughs> echelon, Jared. <laughs> who becomes their top suspect. <sighs> Ugh, so this yeah. movie was written apparently in 1993, so almost 30 years ago. <laughs> I could barely so tell. <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah and, and set in los angeles because every single crime thriller has to be set in los angeles yeah i just uh, want to bring up that for loss for taking place in los angeles <laughs> in the early 90s it, the sky was way too clear right la right. was, was nowhere no near that clear in the early 90s there was smog everywhere so i'm just bringing that up the, the nicest thing I can say about this movie is I liked the score by Thomas Newman. Mm, I thought yeah. Denzel was good in it. I thought that the poster is nice. Yeah. Apart from that. The, the, you know you're scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of compliments when you bring up the poster. I, I, how, many, how many of us think that Jared Leto deserved a Golden Globe nomination for this performance? <laughs> Cricket, cricket. <laughs> oh man! Let me tell you. Let me tell you. He's basically <laughs> playing the guy from Blade Runner twenty forty nine that he played. Except exactly. He's not blind, and he's a hobo now. Mm. <laughs> Almost a hobo. Yeah. But I mean, seriously, dude, this movie was like getting a freaking root canal. This is like the never-ending, torturous experience that i that that was my high school career um this this movie is like playing the old nes silver surfer game and dying every single time you don't run into an orb and yet it kills you this movie uh, sucked ass uh, i, I don't hate know if I say this movie i hate this movie i don't know how i would say it sucked ass but it was it was definitely it was definitely not a distinguishable movie of this type of genre. You know, it's, what, what did you what did you guys think of Rami Malek in this? Do you think he was, he was awful? Choice? Do you think he, he was? was oh, no, no, actually, no, not Rami Malek. He was he was okay, but I'm still not sure if he can really pull off a straight drama. Like Rami Malek like, was. I I I think he's a great actor. I think so too. But but in this, he was horribly miscast. This is oh yeah the role. Yeah. This is not good for him. <laughs> it's like not the right not role working for him at all. And I was just, oh. and it was a, it was honestly a, a real shame to see. Like the only time I thought he was, he was really, it was when they first introduced him, and he was, you know, he was kind of a douchebag like that. I could kind of buy if he was like a douchebag to Denzel the whole time. But if he, but he became like this serious straight laced dude, and I was just like, I don't know that I like this role for him. Or yeah, it's really... just not for him. You know, he's. He's better when he's playing, you know, just large and a lot exaggerated characters like Frey Mercury. Jared Leto. Uh, I, I, I do not understand how people looked at this performance and thought, yes, let's give this award 
its consideration. Like, right? I know. Like, what even is this? <laughs> I don't even know. At the end, when... Yeah, can we just say that this movie is basically seven, but, you know, without... Stupider. It's, it's seven, but bad. Stupider seven. Stupider seven. Even down to the climax taking place in a desert. And um, Jared Leto delivering the line in the, all of his all of this screenwriting brilliance oh poop i think oh, i made poop. a poo <laughs> i think what i made a poop what's that about i was, I was like i was like oh poop i don't think the body's actually there oh, no like, and he has like, marley Mollick dick though he straight, like 10 he straight up says the, the full line is oh poop i think i made a boo-boo <laughs> that is the line <laughs> oh, nobody, like i don't understand how like the script like <laughs> Nobody saw these lines and we're like, okay, put a pin in that. Maybe we should get like a script doctor to fix these lines with every single cliched line. The second. Oh my God. And at one point, Jared Leto just says, you know, you and I are a lot alike. As if that, that has not played out its welcome in cinema, like in 2001, like, like 2002, like that line is so dated. So dated. I don't even know like what the twist was. Like, I don't know what the stuff with the beret was. Like it was just like like at the end, like like it kind of like because one of the girls that he allegedly kidnapped, she wore a red beret, and later like they're they're burning. Can we just spoil it? Because yeah, this one you can spoil. Who cares? Yeah, the movie is you know they kill they bury him basically. Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, they. Raid his apartment. They take all the kind of evidence. Um, they, they, they're covering up their crime, basically. They put them in trash bags. And Denzel Washington, he's burning it. He's burning it. He takes out this pack of red berets. So this yeah. pack of berets. And one of them, the red one is missing. So I, I guess he that was saying it to that Robbie he was... And one thing I want to bring up that like was really distracting to me was the editing was distracting the hell out of me. Yeah, entire movie. Like there was something weird about the rhythm of the edits. Like they seemed to cut. Like they seemed to wait too long to cut to the next um shot, or didn't, uh, or too soon. It was just something felt very off, and it was it was just distracting me the entire time. And the I most could... the most visually interesting. Thing, moment that happens in this movie is when Denzel Washington's in his car and they look at his rear view window and they show it's like a reflection from a memory of his from a previous case that he was covering like a crime scene that he was at that was the yeah. most visually interesting and it cuts to him in the car during that part that was the most visually interesting thing in this movie basically and, and what was with the weird sort of religious under undertone of the film oh, yeah. that they never really did anything I don't, I don't think, think they did either. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, just oh my god, the, the nobody <laughs> in this movie acts like a human. They yes. All, no. They all talk like reject Tarantino. Yes. That don't know how they're like. It would be one thing if it were like one person who didn't act like a normal human thing, but like everybody in this acts like. I don't know how they act. Remember that line that you shared in the group chat, Hayden, that that was like, 
where where so, Denzel literally says he pulls him up after they're they're interrogating Jared and Leto. Jared Leto is um apparently turned on by dead uh bodies. Yes, apparently. I forget the context, but he just says your dick is as hard as Chinese arithmetic. What? <laughs> I don't remember that. It was how uh, what? What does that even mean? I Dick is as hard as Chinese arithmetic. Oh my god! I, I don't think Chinese arithmetic differs in like not Chinese regular arithmetic. I there's no difference, and I guess, and it's also just like a weirdly racist throwaway line that yeah that made yeah. it the movie and the utter lack of suspense in this film. Yeah, okay. it's like the movie like it implies like the whole conflict. I think is that Denzel Washington is that. The reason why his wife left him was because he was being too um, entrenched in this case, which it's a conflict we've seen a thousand times in this type yeah. of movie. And it, it's based, and in the end, of course, he says to Rami Malek, hey, you know, don't get yourself too deep in this shit. Uh, whatever. And and the twist, the the twist the in twist. this movie is that he's been killing, um, is that he killed these women who were involved in these cases, who survived these like what was like he killed them so or, or might have like they he probably did it but like it was also the like didn't I didn't understand the point of making it like so yeah. like was obvious. it that he might have been the killer or something was it but, that he and, killed one of them by accident it was when, so when, and in the end you're like when they're having and then that flashback when they're at the autopsy and uh, like that one dead girl, she's on the table and then she eyes open and she turns his head to him. And also like he starts talking to the corpse. Like, yeah. and I saw, as and the, there was um the, uh, the, there was that scene where the landlord just randomly shows up and just like, I thought you guys were beginning to leave. Like after like they were searching the apartment, like this is like the net, like later that day. And it's just like, where did you come from? <laughs> what we never I don't think we saw you before. So we're Okay. There there was a critic who said that that when when Denzel goes back or or like, you know, when he goes back to like his old precinct and he's talking to the captain, they half expected the captain to say he's a loose cannon and throw his throw the badge at him or something. <laughs> or like turn in his badge because you're a loose cannon. Yeah. Deke. Um, the one thing that I, I was thinking was like my, I have a conspiracy theory <laughs> about the making of this movie is that it is actually a student film and that Denzel, um, Rami and Jared are all just fulfilling community service hours by helping a student <laughs> film. Yeah. Like they're, they're trying to pay a parking ticket or something. Yeah. And that's like the, that's it. <laughs> that's like my big Jared Leto's pass is caught up to him. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, can I can I read you Leonard Maltin's review of this film? I love Leonard Maltin. Go ahead. Because his review just matches up with my thoughts on it. Okay, so this is Leonard Maltin's review here. Quote: One of the seven deadly sins of movie making, perhaps the deadliest, is boring an audience. Having just been victimized by the little things, the least I can do is share my experience with you. Denzel Washington stars as a former LAPD homicide detective who has been reassigned to routine sheriff's deputy duty out in the boondocks. It takes a while to find out what skeletons are rattling in his closet, but during a brief trip to LA, he meets his replacement, a bright, dedicated man played by Rami Malek. 
His current task is to try, is trying to catch a serial rapist and killer. With no clues to go on, he accepts Washington's offer of help, and before long, he begins to adopt Washington's obsessive tendencies. Jared Leto is their number one suspect, but they have no proof of his guilt. This causes both men to do things that can only lead to trouble. Have they forgotten the laws they swore to uphold, or have they just taken leave of their senses? I don't know the answer. The Little Things is pointless, preposterous, and seemingly endless. It is far from Washington's best work and unworthy of his talented co-stars. I couldn't wait for it to be over. John Lee Hancock says he has lived with this story for nearly 30 years. It's a wonder that neither he nor anyone else recognized its plot holes, which are considerable. The only aspect of this film that's notable is a very modern sounding score by the great Thomas Newman, but that's not reason enough to sit through this terrible movie. Mm, no. I agree with every single point that he made. Yeah, gotta love the Malton. When this movie isn't completely stupid and makes no sense, it's when, it, when that's not happening, it's completely boring. Yes. Yeah, it's boring. It's either one of those two things. So, yeah. And the boring bits do not make, like, it's not worth it just to see the stupid bits. What was up? What was up with that one gag um, where we're introduced to Denzel Washington when he's outside of a restaurant and the restaurant owners complain, I think, um, that there was a shooting and okay, the, the name of his restaurant is Black Angus and there was like, a shooting, I think, that happened where the G and Angus was shot um, down, so the sign looks like oh, black yeah. anus. Oh, what was that? I know. I know. It's like that kind of ends with this movie. Was at least I was like, oh, okay. At least this movie has a sense of humor. I that I is guess, so bizarre. I know. It's just so. What the fuck was that? Oh my. God. God, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, that's another racist bullshit that's in this movie, I guess. And <sighs> and the movie it ends at the, even the opening where that um girl is chased by apparently Jared Leto, I think, but then she's saved by it. Like she doesn't come back at any point in the movie, you know, when she, you know, when she's being chased. Like she's driving in the night and. She hides in this diner, I think. Well, was, was that not her in the police station when they were interrogating him, though? Oh, and yeah, I think so, yeah. Was, was that? I don't know. Like, I, I think I it was supposed out, to I be think, her By the anyway. time she showed up. <laughs> the only good thing about that opening was the fact that Rome was on the radio, and I like that song. That's that's it. Yeah, just to make you know that it was 1990. Exactly, exactly. Also, I have so. to appreciate the No Doubt um the no doubt yes 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 like which um and the song that has uh the lyrics the little things like that was that was cute movie you you tried you tried to be the the prop department was trying (laughs) you were you were yeah yeah so i i hated this movie so much i i don't know if i hated it but it's definitely yeah it's there's no reason to watch this movie at all. There's no. really nothing. I gained nothing from it. it. It said nothing new about um, serial killers. It said nothing new about the life of a cop. It said nothing new about anything. About It was just such a pointless movie. I would imagine watching it is akin to implanting a diamond into your forehead. Only that sounds more enjoyable. At least you have a diamond after that. Yeah. So, 
Little things. It's on HBO Max if you really want to torture yourself that much. And, and it's only streaming until February 28th. Knock yourself out. Moving that on to a Netflix release is a notable one for being apparently the first Hollywood movie and uh, um, the, uh, the first movie to have been written, shot, and distributed. The first major movie, at least, um, to be released during the pandemic. Um, it was uh, Malcolm and Marie. Can you Malcolm and I have seen this one, Malcolm and Marie. Okay. Starring uh, John David Washington, Denzel yeah. Washington's son, and uh, Zendaya. As, uh, so they play Malcolm and Marie, who um, they drive home from the premiere of Malcolm's latest movie. Mm-hmm. And, and Marie is pissed that he didn't thank her in his award and his opening speech. Okay, and the whole thing going from there is arguments and a scene of questionable intimacy. It's just that it's just that pattern over and over, like discussions about the themes of his movies and you know the inspiration for the writing of it and whether or not she should have played uh, the main character. It's 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 simply these two characters in this one location. We don't see anyone else. It's black and white. Um, it certainly gave me mixed emotions, but what do you think, Kiona? I realize that there's some controversy surrounding this movie um, for me and, and surrounding the filmmaker Sam Levinson and, and how he's reacted to critics apparently in the past. Uh, I haven't really read up on it, but I know I'm aware of the fact that there is some criticism there. And of course, the, the age difference between John David Washington and Zendaya. But I think Zendaya, as a film- oh God, I'm so bad at pronouncing stuff. Oh, don't worry about it, man. I, I totally got what you meant. But in terms of it as a film, I, I like the performances. I really did. I, I thought that both John David Washington and Zendaya did a good job with what they had, with the material they had. Um, I would say that it reminded me a lot of that that sort of relationship breakdown that we saw in Marriage Story, except this one wasn't as good. Oh, yeah. I remember That was one movie that came to my mind was Marriage Story. Yeah. Um, and, and I was talking to Josh about it, and he's said that it reminded him of like the Richard Linklater's uh, films that he made in the past, like Before Sunset. Yeah, uh, I, I know was, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not a huge romance guy. So in a way, seeing the disillusion of a romance is kind of fun to watch for me. Like I like seeing these two people like argue with each other. And maybe that just proves that I have a heart of stone. But yeah. anyway, it seems like, you know, like there, there, there are aspects of this film that I would say are definitely worth criticizing and critiquing. Um, but in terms of the movie as a film itself, I thought it was kind of powerful. I thought Mm. that the performances were good. And I thought that, uh, just in terms of the theme, the thematic elements and stuff and and the way that it resolves or or doesn't resolve in a sense, it kind of shows you like, it's a, it's a depiction of these two very, um, egotistical broken people. Right. More on one side than on the other, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, more on John David Washington's side, his character's side. But I think that it's how they relate to one another and the interplay between them was good. And the fact that he didn't thank her, that was the core of the whole thing. And it, it just, you know, it spirals from there and it proves that he's so self-centered and self-righteous. Yeah. And yeah. the way that he reacts to receiving a good review 
Oh yeah, that was actually the movie's highlight. Oh my god! I mean, if it I goes seen... on that huge diatribe, that about... huge rant that just doesn't end, and by the time he's done with it, he just like falls down unconscious almost because he's so yeah. tired. And Zendaya's like, you know, that's your reaction to a good review. Yeah. Um, there were there were times that that I really did like this movie, and there were times when you know, reading the criticism of it, I I was like, yeah, I could see that. I could definitely see that. But it's as a movie, it was it was I would say it was good. I would say it was above average. Yeah, very I, I, I'm kind of a sucker for movies that take place in an enclosed environment, so it did win me over. Honestly, I was kind of watching this movie thinking that a lot of critics were loving it. Actually, and I was like. Well, I can actually see why. You know, it does deliver insight into the the writing process and you know how much our inspiration, the director's inspirations, factor into their movies. But then I saw the critical reception. Um, it was it's like a fifty six on Rotten Tomatoes, and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, well that makes sense too because these characters, these two, aren't incredibly likable. So I read somewhere that somebody had said that it was sort of like the criticism that that was levied against uh birdman and la la land and the way that those films kind of look at criticism Mm -hmm. uh specifically birdman the way that he has that you know he has a little michael keaton's character is a little diatribe against uh against the new york times reporter lady who's the the reviewer yeah um and i you know i mean i think there's always going to be that tension and uh and i think that we don't have to, you know, critics and creatives don't have to be enemies, mm-hmm. but uh, but I think there is that tension between the two because if you have a valid criticism against something, you know, then it's your it's your opinion first of all, mm-hmm. and secondly, it's like you know taking into account like all the factors that normally would go into writing a, a critical review. I think that this movie kind of examines that from the artist's perspective in a, in a decent way. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Okay. So yeah, I, I did kind of enjoy it. Um, but I, I can see why the criticisms that are lobbied against it too, because would you at least under, understand like when people say that this is an extremely toxic relationship? Absolutely. Yeah. There I thought that no, was the point of it. Yeah. The movie, the movie ends like like it kind of implies that both are equally in the wrong but at the very end you know like it, it kind of rains really hard on marie's side um yeah i think so it, i i think I she just, is the the one thing that she has up on him on malcolm is the fact that he did not thank her and that last that that last sort of soliloquy that she has that last speech yeah. that she has where she says you know she does all the thank yous yeah. and, and it's uh, it's yeah, true kind of, and also, even at the beginning, when uh, she makes him macaroni and cheese, and he's eating it, and then and I then totally ate a I, I ate a thing of macaroni and cheese after that. I was so hungry for it. I was like, Dude, the way yeah. he's eating it just made me hungry for it. Yeah, and he's yelling at her basically while he's de- he's eating eating it, calling her a bitch and stuff, and like saying that she's over dramatic while he's eating it. Well, while he's just chowing down on mac and cheese. Yeah. That was funny. I, that was the most gourmet mac and cheese I've ever seen. Uh, I, I uh, must say that that I really like John David Washington as an actor. By the way, uh, yeah, he's good. Like he's he's a generally good actor. Like that one speech he gave about you know the role of um 
identity politics and movies and and all that that was like generally entertaining you know and also the part where he has to read the reviews or a paywall and he's like fumbling through his credit card oh that was so relatable okay i related to that moment so much because that's me when i can't find something that i'm really looking for and i'm just like fuck fuck where the fuck is it i'm just like dying and like screaming my head off and getting all mad and then it turns out that it's like right on the desk somewhere and it was covered up by something Incidentally, as uh, someone who has not seen this yet, um, I just want to bring up how um, we're reviewing uh, two movies uh, side to side um, with the father and son. Yeah, true. Just true. bring that Denzel up. Denzel and, and John David, yeah. I just thought yeah. that was kind of funny. Yeah, John, uh, he, he's better in this movie than I think he was in Tenet, actually. And I liked him in Tenet. I thought he was the best thing about Tenet. Yeah, <laughs> except that script didn't really give him that, that much emotion to work with. No, but he had at least like a sense of humor in the movie, which was better than most yeah. of the characters in that film. Yeah, uh, I just I wish that like Chris. That yeah, I just wish Chris Nolan gave him, you know, a bit more dramatics and like him to actually try yeah. to give the character at least, like, at least give him um a little more identity Something. besides literally just calling him the protagonist. The protagonist. <laughs> like, geez, how freaking pretentious can you get? Like. Uh, Hayden, does this sound like something you'd be interested in? I might check it out. I did actually um, enjoy Assassination Nation um, by uh, hmm. Zen. I I do really like uh, Zendaya um, and John David Washington. So yeah, might check this out. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we'll see. Yeah. So yeah, Malcolm Marie. It's on Netflix. Give it a watch and see which side uh, of the discourse that you're on. I like so. that we're seeing black and white movies again, too. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure this was on film, too, because it was really grainy. Mm-hmm. Either that or they touched it up in, in post or something. But, yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know the difference between film and digital, do you? Uh, digital just looks a lot more, like, clean and, and more, like, uh, manufactured, in a sense. Like, there's there's no film grain. There's no, like, it just it just seems a lot more... I don't know if I want to say empty, but like there's there's no life on the film, basically. Yeah. And digital just kind of cleans everything up, and so it just looks yeah. super. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get, and, I get what you mean. But did, did yeah. this look like a film to you? It did. Okay, so did. all right, just just want to make clear that I knew what I was talking about. So anyway, oh, yeah, let's of course, move man. On I'm not. To... I'm not saying that. <laughs> well, I, I understand. Yeah, I get it, bro. So anyway, moving on to our final movie. <laughs> our last and... one. <laughs> God. Um. The one that we're basing this whole episode around is Earwig and the Witch, the latest Studio Ghibli film, which normally would be um, an occasion to celebrate, you know, like a normally just celebration of the studio whose last movie was 2014's when Marnie was there, you know, finally making a triumphant return. And then and then this you happened. See, and then it's in CG. The, the fact that it's in CGI is the least of this movie's problems, which that oh. says a lot about. Okay, so Earwig and the Witch. It's based off. Um, hold on, Earwig. I'm just bringing up the Wikipedia page as well. It's well, it's directed by Goro Miyazaki, Hayao Miyazaki's um, son. Uh, his third film after Tales from Earthsea and From Up on Poppy Hill, 
It's based on the novel by Diana Wynne Jones, who also wrote Howl's Moving Castle. Um, the story is that uh, Erica is a girl at an orphanage in Britain, although um, the higher ups of the orphanage refer to her. Actually, her real name is Earwig, but Erica is just what they call her. Um, she spends most of her time bossing everyone around, including her alleged best friend, Custard, which, yeah, what the hell kind of name is that? Custard? Custard. Custard, yeah. <sighs> Die for giving him that name. So, anyway. Her um, name is Earwig, so. Yeah, just, um, so. Um, Ew. Yeah, but, and so Ew, she David. gets adopted by a witch, as well as uh, a mandrake essentially a demonic sort of figure and she's taken in there she goes into their house um and she's basically there just to be their slave essentially you know just to doing around like doing all the housework and whatnot and she so she tries to learn the magic of a witch as well um the spells along with um a cat um named thomas and she, a talking cat named Thomas, and and later she comes across this tape that her mother gave her before she left her the orphanage. Uh, called Don't disturb me, which is basically from this certain band. Um, and unbeknownst to her, it's the band that her mother was a part of. And so, yeah, it sounds like I'm struggling to come up to describe what happens. Is that the movie is just. It basically gave me nothing, you know, in terms of the plot and such. And this was a crushing disappointment for me as a huge Studio Ghibli fan. Um, Kiona, want to throw in your two cents? Did you like Earwig as a character? I did not. I found her to be the most precocious, annoying little brat. I know. I the did not thing, like her. Yeah, like she, she, like I said, she bosses everyone. She. She calls um, the chef who works there fat, and she, she, she just bullies Custer around. You never bite at their friends, or she likes hanging around with him. Um, this movie it has no heart. Essentially, this movie, which is what Ghibli or Ghibli films for. have, that's yeah. what they're supposed to have. He's basically this movie is basically Kiki if Kiki was just an unlikable brat. You know she. This and movie, it, like, I don't even like the points out like where her she she finds out that her mom was in this no she when she finds out that these two the witch and the demon they were in this band that her mother she doesn't even find out that um her mother's even in the band you know she she doesn't even meet her until the tail end of the movie and then and, they leave it open for a sequel right and. And the end credits, they show like illustrations of the aftermath. They don't even show her interacting with the mom. There's not even a villain in this movie necessarily no! because there's no like point to what her struggle is. Like she's okay. So, so Earwig's whole quest in this movie, which isn't much of one, is that she wants to learn magic. And to do that, she just annoys the crap out of everyone, including the cat. 
to the cat. And the running gag is she keeps calling the cat custard instead of Tom. That's but that gag that was running to the oh, that was ground. great. Yeah, that was yeah, that basically oh shows her God. how much she valued her time with custard. Um she, I hate this movie too. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just I I have no this movie it crushed not me much. Here I am thinking that Ghibli can do no wrong and me doing this huge-ass marathon of all the Ghibli movies prior to that, even their absolute weaker ones, like Tales of Mercy was also directed by Goro and um, The Cat Returns, you know, and I I still enjoy those movies. I honestly do. And in Watch their old movies <laughs> instead of this. Watch, watch their other movies instead of this. Yeah, uh, it's like... He even directed um, from Up on Poppy Hill, which is one of actually one of my favorite Ghibli movies. Actually, mm-hmm. I, I quite well, that enjoyed one that. How, that one had how that one had how writing the screenplay. So, Brother mm-hmm. High Out, it's, not, it's Father High Out. Yeah, mm-hmm. sorry, mm-hmm. High Out. Um, that one had his dad writing the script. So, um, yeah, like that that would ex- which would explain why it's probably his best. Uh, movie yeah that really says a lot about him like as a director and such and i just really hope high owl manages to make how do you live uh because i'm scared now because he's up there i i you know i really hope turn 80 I hope that Goro Miyazaki learns, um, you know, kind of learns a lesson from this and and kind of like goes back to doing like their traditional hand-drawn animation because I think that that speaks more to their artistry and more to how like their, it just speaks more to their talent really. And it's, they're one of the last, you know, one of the last studios who actually does that sort of animation anymore. Like not even Disney will do it anymore. Yeah, so, it's, how how did how did it look though? How did it look in terms of, like the the design? I did not like the CG. I did not like the character designs. I did not like the plasticky weird just look of it. I, sometimes I did it, not like. <sighs> sometimes the movements it looked kind of impressive. Like it was interesting seeing Ghibli characters move in that sort of way. But there were times where it did look disturbing. Like this one time when um. Uh, when Earwig, she casts a spell on um, the witch, Baba Yaga, um, yeah. to put an extra pair of hands on her, and one of them's on her head, and the other one's on her ass, and, you know, and when Earwig, she's looking at this, and then she just starts laughing, but it's like a Charlie Brown laugh, where that her, was... her head is tilted back and just shows her mouth, and that just looked disturbing. It's like when they did some... Like yeah, they would do these stylized things like just all of a sudden out of nowhere, and it didn't fit with the rest of the film like that and specifically. That this moment. movie, it wasn't interesting to look at even like all no. it almost all of it takes place in this little house and it's just suffocating. It's like it's like 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 even with Arietti, you know, Secret World of Arietti, that took place in an enclosed environment too, but at least had the different sizes of you know of show and also of Arietti, you know, the, the tiny one. So he had these different perspectives. So it was visually interesting here. There was just nothing to look at. There was yeah. just nothing. There was just nothing interesting. There was just this movie. Yeah. Again, like I even don't even know what the end game of this movie was. Like she starts off bossing people around and getting her way all the time. 
and then it ends with her bossing everyone around and getting her way all the time. And the score, the soundtrack to this film, I felt like it was just noise. And I usually don't mind jazzy soundtracks or anything like that, but this movie, it just felt like noise to me. It, it just didn't match anything. It didn't match the character. It didn't tell me anything about the character. Um, her, also her self-narration throughout this entire film. Mm. Who is she talking to? Mm-hmm. Well, isn't that like narration altogether? Like, isn't that just something like? I I mean, but it doesn't it doesn't show us like. They could have done it as voiceover or something. Like it just, you know, is she talking to the audience? Like, what is the point of that? Of of like, I'm going to slip this through the wall now, and it's just like we already know you're already doing it. Like, right. just show it to us and don't say anything. Like, shut up. <laughs> um. I don't like this character. I don't like this movie at all. Like the music, even like the the part when they're like the stuff with them being in a band, you know, that doesn't factor into the movie at all. That doesn't. Yeah, what was the point of that? In any meaningful way, even it was just it was just to show, oh, you know, the witch and the mandrake. You know, they they had a thing with her mom, and for some reason, the mom left and. And you know, and that pissed them off. And like we, we only hear them sing one song throughout it, which it's called "Don't Disturb oh, Me." Dad, don't disturb has, me. Yeah, and the only relevance it has is the Mandrake doesn't like it when she disturbs him. That was the point of it. That's the reason. Why yeah, it's that was the don't disturb me. Of it. And 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 the Mandrake, you know, they the Mandrake and the witch, Bobby, they have no character at all basically it's just baba yaga she's just the bitchy witch and mandrake he all he does is just he's at a table reading a newspaper reading the bad reviews for the books that he's reading and he doesn't show any emotion beyond just pissed off essentially like he just like there's no warmth among any of these characters you never get a sense of them growing you know it's not like it's not like Howl's Moving Castle where even the Witch of the Waste, you know, even when she is start off as a typical witch, you know, that she she has a warmer side to her and you do feel sorry and have some sympathy and you just feel nothing for these two. And what is Earwig's motivation in staying there? Shouldn't she be trying to get out? Exactly. It's a, and, and, and Thomas, he's basically just GG. <laughs> Except he has really no distinguishing character. And this movie somehow managed to get um, Richard E. Grant as Mandrake and Dan Stevens as Thomas and Casey Musgraves, whom I've never heard of. Apparently she's a big Ghibli fan. Yeah, this, I could think of- Is she a voice actress, I think? I don't, I I I think think she's a voice actress. She's a singer. She actually or singer. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's six Grammy awards apparently. And this well, is well, you can definitely tell in this film. Yeah, it's like this. I'm gonna sing TV. the same line twenty different times. You know, like don't disturb me twenty different. Don't times. disturb me. Like, God. I'm just a, the movie that really shocks me. Okay, there's like. There's this um, part of Ghibli history that's kind of infamous where there was this rift between Hayao and Goro um, over Tales of Mercy, 
And when there was a screen, a staff screen of it, Hayao, he walked out an hour in just to have a cigarette break, saying he was in there for three hours. Okay. So, and he wrote um, a message to Goro, which was the most backhanded compliment ever. It was made honestly, so it was good. <laughs> it was, and for some reason, Hayao, he loved this movie. Hayao Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. He, he said, I, I think he said, I'm pretty sure he said that they have a movie to rival Pixar. No. <laughs> Hold on, what? No. Okay. Well, no. maybe it's rivaling uh, Cars 2. Maybe Cars uh, 2, maybe. Maybe Cars 2, because like that was the movie that kind of like put like that kind of made Pixar. Uh, that was Pixar's first um rotten scored uh movie. Maybe this is following in that those footsteps. I, is this I, like I the good dinosaur? That that I, I even um heard a critic that um said that this movie um felt like Ghibli making their own mockbuster. So so from Yahoo News, I just pulled this up. It, it, it says Goro did accept some of his dad's advice about character work. Quote, my father and I had a few conversations about how we were going to portray Earwig. The girl's precocious plans to control people were a particular concern. It's written in the book that she sometimes manipulates people. The word itself can sound quite negative. So we talked about how we could make her charming and a character people would love and relate to without losing her essence. Did you feel charmed by this child? I did not. Um, did you, did you feel did love all. and relate to her? Right. Was, there was no. no. This this movie was just soul crushing. You know, like I would not say I'm a huge Studio Ghibli fan. So I I honestly the thing is I always said before watching this movie I would rather watch the worst Ghibli movie than the best Illumination any day. And now watching this movie I now have a sudden urge to pop in Despicable Me. <laughs> dude so so Miyazaki said we didn't want to make it a very epic story because that would be a lot of work this story was very concise compact and very fun and I felt that it was very fitting for what we were trying to do as for how his relationship with his father is fared during the pandemic Miyazaki is less forthcoming we have been in touch I know he's still alive he deadpans dude Take your lesson from this, please, and go back to traditional animation. Do not do another CGI movie. I tell you, it, it's just CGI. Here's my problem unless you're Pixar, CG to me, it just looks very one note all the time. Like, I, I don't know, maybe Over the Moon and movies like that that are a little more stylized or that have like an artist signature to them are a bit or Spider Verse better or Spider Verse, for instance. Yeah, because that had a style to it. But like most CGI animated films to me just look all the same. So it's especially like the yeah because it's usually um unless they're I will say unless they're like more sometimes unless they're more like independent and have their own style like the Willoughby's yeah, yeah yeah true, true. Uh, to my knowledge was like I that was CGI but it looks like a lot like stop motion too and it had a really that had a really unique style to it as well but uh, just, I've, I'm not gonna lie I didn't love the Willoughby's either but I would say that I like that movie a lot more than this I do want to say something though. Like, I think that if Studio Ghibli does want to delve into CGI, which I think they have the ability to do, 
Yeah. Like, as, they could. As someone who has not seen this and probably won't. Um, yeah. I think, I think they could. It's just they need to take a lot of time and dedication into making sure it is something worthwhile and mm. means something um, yeah, well, and can get out there. This I really, was not yeah. it. This, yeah. I, I, I'm honestly convinced that when the trailers came out for this movie, we saw the animation stills. I had my rose tinted glasses on. I just like um, Cameron and Mike. I was on a, a, a Renegade Animation one, and we were talking about Earwig. And I said, well, you know, the designs are unmistakably Ghibli, and for what it's worth, it does look better than Ronia the Robber's Daughter, which is um, their Ghibli, their first four went to TV. Okay, so mm-hmm. even that, that's not even saying much. That's not even like, and I was just, I was kind of judging Ghibli fans who were already poo pooing this. Um, I was like, guys, come on, it's Ghibli. Don't be like that or whatever. Don't be a purist or whatever. But yeah, I can actually see where they're coming from. I don't even know. Like I said, there are times where it does, like the backgrounds do look kind of hand-drawn because of the lighting, actually. I thought they did a good job on that. Yeah. But, yeah, but it, there's some, some shots where it's just showing inanimate objects moving and that just looked phony. That just didn't look it just didn't look professional at all like the texturing was just not there and mm-hmm. the rendering wasn't there and think of it that script wasn't there the yeah script, it was just such a this movie just went in so many different directions there there's no sense of flow or character development in anything and yeah this was just a this was just such an empty empty movie and like this is the this is easily without question the worst Jima movie like the second worst yeah. i think is probably ocean waves their other made for tv movie because you know this mm-hmm. to this movie's credit it was made for tv so its expectations aren't exactly that high right but the second worst is Ocean Waves, and it is goddamn spirited away compared to this. <laughs> and it was just, I am, it takes a true fan to admit that when a studio they love has made a bad movie, okay? And mm-hmm. I can at least take pride that at least I'm not doing mental gymnastics and justifying this movie like many hardcore Ghibli fans I'm assuming are. Well, I'm very curious to hear what what Mike and Cameron think about this one. Cam, uh, I think he was a little more positive it. with this one, but yeah, he was. Yeah, I, I get the I feeling that would... they might like it more than we did. Yeah, I I just I could not stand it. I can't it stand the just, character. It was, it was just soul crushing, man. It was just soul crushing. Like, like gee, like, they know how to make you feel. Like when I watched when Marty was there. Um, I was literally sobbing at parts during that movie because the emotion was just so there. Like that was one of the most emotionally powerful movies I've seen uh, from this. And even in my entire life and it, and to see them come back with something like this, it was just, I, I feel bad for Mike because apparently he hasn't watched a whole ton of Ghibli movies and, Man, like having this, like I feel sorry for the poor bastard who has this as their mm-hmm. first Ghibli movie. It's like having Home on the Range as your first Disney movie. 
I think I've only seen one, two, three, four, maybe five of them. Oh, so God, like, there's... so, so even so, but even I can tell like their, their, their hand-drawn stuff and their earlier stuff is so much better than this. So much it's better. beautiful, man. Like the, there's so much and, heart in, in and movies. They're like so immersive, the backgrounds. Yeah. And, and yeah. this is CGI, a, an animation style that's supposed to be immersive. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't at all. Like it was because maybe it's because with bad CGI, there's always this inherent uncanny valley to it as opposed to even bad hand drawn. And you know, with hand drawn, like as Ghibli, like you know they're not realistic, but you're able to be sucked into them anyway. That's how good they are. And honestly, this movie was just I don't even know what to say of it. It's just <laughs> this is I think. Okay, dollar to donuts. This is probably the worst movie we I've ever covered. For the, it's it's up there with Artemis Fowl. I'm just gonna say that. Ooh. Or I don't mm. know. I don't know, but man, it is. It's worse than my Artemis spy. Fowl. Okay. Uh, someone it's I know on Twitter worse. actually um compare it to Artemis Fowl as well. So. <laughs> You're not the first person I've seen make that comparison. I'm for the on the record. It's the first it's worse comparison. Than my Here spy. Go... I freaking hate my spy. And it's God, like God damn it. Like fuck it. The painted bird was more enjoyable than this. The painted bird. The fucking painted bird. <laughs> and that movie just sucked the soul right. This movie is just, I, this is the angriest I've ever been. Like, it's like, cheaply, what if you, so like, now I remember how I feel when Cars 2 came out. (laughs) (laughs) So, Hayden, what do you think? Does this sound appealing to you? I'm probably not going to watch this one because. Avoid don't, it like the goddamn plague it yourself. is. Yeah. Save yourself. I, I I just remember like you were suggesting this movie, and I was just like, oh, Studio Ghibli, that that's probably gonna be. And then I saw like all the reviews it was getting, and I was like, oh no. Uh, yeah, was, <laughs> no. <laughs> it was it was just oh my oh my wow man fucking shit, man. This was Oh, so bad. Now watch, Mike and Cameron are going to go on, on animation and they're going to be like, you know, this movie, it had its flaws, but it wasn't that bad. Mm. <laughs> you know, they're going to totally be the opposite of what we're saying here. Yeah. Oh, hey, you know what? If, That's, if well, they find opinions, something to like man. in it, then great. Then opinions, opinions. They're like opinions, opinions, I. opinions. Remember, remember our code. You know, we don't, I hope they at least understand why we're like this. Why I understand why this movie was just. I just thought it was like, it was terrible. And this is bad by any animation studio standards, but from studio. Plot twist, they end up in um, hating it more than you do. (laughs) (laughs) That would be amazing, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) You just hear Michael like, fuck this movie, fuck it all. Yeah. Oh my God. I uh... like I. This movie would have been bad if it came from 
any other animation studio, but but from Ghibli, man. Come, like, if, if I ever do another Ghibli marathon, I'm just not going to even bother with this. This is just, yeah. no, like... I agree. I agree with you. It makes also, me extra sad that Isao Takahata is dead. Also, for the record, I just want to bring up that I don't actually think um, Cars 2 is, like, the worst thing ever. Like, not that it's good, but Cars 2 is, is like, kind of, like, just mostly... If another studio made it, it would have been considered mediocre. Mm-hmm. This does not sound like it has such benefit. No, it doesn't. Like, you can't yeah. even... Like, you can't even look at its standards beyond... You can't even praise it for standards beyond a Ghibli movie. It's... I, I've got nothing else to say. And I'll watch it yeah, on HBO I've... Max if you absolutely must. If you are if you must watch everything under the sun of coming from Ghibli... You know, if you're... If you're a casual Ghibli fan, don't bother with this. Just don't. Just stay away from it or else it will just turn you off from... I, my biggest fear is that people are just getting to Studio Ghibli will come across this movie like, really? This is the animation studio that people love so much? And it might persuade them from dissuade mm. them from watching movies that are so much better than it. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, like... Thankfully, I think uh, Spirited Away and uh, their other um, movies have enough clout that it will hopefully dilute this. Overshadow this, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, so. I'm gonna, I don't I, think, I think it will. I, I think it'll be, I think um, newbies will be fine if with this. I mean, I'll, I think, edit this. Um, I think that ultimately, the the studio will be fine and that people will like find their good movies like the movie their movies that are good are too good and too well known to one out of like 25 overshadow yeah that, that's that's not a bad ratio. i just hope this movie gets buried yeah yeah i feel sorry for yeah that j kids is almost contractually obligated to release this thing yeah they're, they're such an amazing distributor i i just I'm just so deflated, man. This yeah. movie is my Last of Us 2, okay? Well, I mean, there are some of us that enjoyed Last of Us 2. I know, I know what you're saying, but given the hatred that game got, like, this is my Luke tossing away his lightsaber. I laughed at that. <laughs> only, only, only this one isn't even justified, okay? Even... Yeah, no, I get what you're you saying. You get what I mean, right? I wasn't angered by that like so many other people. The were. the divisiveness and the like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think that I'm sure that there are some people who like this movie, and if you do, more power to you. I I just I don't see it myself. I I found the lead character to be very irritating, and I just thought it was a pointless film. Pointless is narratively just no point to it. And that is the operative word right here. Pointless. So. Anyway, I think I think we've said our piece. I think that's about it for these movies, man. A bit All of right. a mixed bag this time. Um, yeah, at know, least that was. Yeah, at least we got. Um, at least we had three out of five. Sixty percent good, forty percent not so much. So, yeah. Um, do yeah. you guys have any recommendations for this week? Um, for recommendations, just watch any movie in this other movie in the Studio Ghibli catalog beyond this. And no, no, uh, I even. 
Even watch Mary and the Witch's Flower that was directed by Hiramasa Yonobayashi and his own studio, Studio Panak. That feels so much more like a Ghibli movie than this actual Ghibli movie. Go and read our Fresh Take series and go back and rewatch Gurren, L- Gurren Lagan. That's even more fun than this. Hayden, what's your recommendation? Um, in terms of anything? In terms of anything. It doesn't have to be anime. Um, uh, um, Sound of Metal is very good. Ooh, mm. I want to watch that. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, um, and um, Paul Racy deserved uh, the nomination way more than Jared Leto did. Mm-hmm. God, yes. I'm just bringing that up. Oi. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, wow, the Golden Globe nominations were a mess this year. Yeah, yeah they, with mu- the whole Seriously. music debacle and than all usual, that. They were, real, they were really, really bad nominations this year. <laughs> How the fuck was music nominated? For two awards. What the hell was Sia thinking with that? As an autistic person, that movie, Justin, I, I know I, I'm, I'm already angry enough, so I won't get into that one. Yeah. <laughs> but, man, Sia, you done boofed with that. Um, and now she deactivated her Twitter. <laughs> yeah, there's, at least there's that. But that's enough negativity for one episode. Mm-hmm. I hope, I think the next one should be more positive because we're going to base that around Nomadland, I think. Okay. okay. And for hey, that, we'll has, also be talking about Judas and the Black Messiah. So, has anybody seen News of the World with Tom Hanks? I'm I've seen that in the theaters, that actually. Is that worth watching? Yeah, it's good. Okay. I'll probably give that a watch. Yeah. Um, um, there's a movie. Oh, go ahead, Hayden. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, I really want to see Saint Maud, which is finally coming out uh, next week. Oh. Um, okay. 24. It's um, exclusive to Epics, apparently, but you know. Bullshit. Oh, really? I really, I'm. Wow. I'm I'm always a slut for an A24 horror film, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a movie on Netflix called Finding Ohana, which is about Hawaii, so I'm going to check that out and watch it. Mm. I've seen, like, maybe the first 10 minutes of it so far. It's pretty good. Not bad. Yeah. It's a little bit of a kid's movie. A little bit of we should a talk about movie, that for not this Not bad one. so far. Um, uh, we can talk about that on the next one if you want. Yeah. Just a short, um, you know, Also, short recommendations um, for a... Um, for a, um, that's recommendations for a movie that is kind of similar to Promising Young Woman, but not quite. Is um, there's a French uh, horror film called uh, Revenge. It's on Shutter. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a, it's a it's a very different tone than a than a Promising Young Woman. But that's like if you but like it's a more basic revenge film. But it's I think it, that was done very very well. Uh, promising young woman had more suspense in it than the little things that's a yeah, low bar to it, cover but i mean it really did the only suspense i felt in the little things was when is this going to end yes yeah. exactly yeah i can't believe that movie's the number one movie in theaters right now and when is jared little gonna say oh poop i made a boo-boo okay if you like the little things i would recommend any thriller show in the 90s was better than that like along came a spider the bone collector kissed the girls all of those silence of the lambs for god's sake all of those movies are better seven than the little things seven. seven yeah zodiac i would even watch zodiac way over i i mean like i would what? watch that like 20 times over this i would watch the community episode that was a spoof of zodiac over this yeah 
the ass crack bandit episode watch that that is more fun and more suspenseful than the little things watch that on netflix everybody I'm also going to recommend, again, reiterating uh, from last week, I'm going to recommend Shit's Creek one more time because I actually got to the end of that show and I loved it so much. And, uh, and Alexis is my favorite. Yeah, that's about it for me, guys. Anybody else oh. have any WandaVision. recommendations? WandaVision. Oh, WandaVision, yeah. Again, I, that's like at the tail end of the episode. WandaVision, 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 So we're going to do... The- um, we're gonna do a one division episode at some point, right? Yeah, that that was a brilliant twist, like I gotta say. But that was just yeah. ingenious, man. I was freaking mind blown that they actually pulled that off. Yep, that was good. Right. So the last two episodes have been my favorites of the season. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm 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 looking forward to the rest of it. Yep, same here. All right, Hayden, you got any more uh, recommendations you want to say? Or there's a lot of good stuff out there. So keep an eye out. Let us know. I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let us know in the comments below guys, if you have any suggestions for us or anything you want us to cover in the future, uh, we will definitely, you know, take it into consideration. So yeah, let us know. How although, we're doing. although I do certainly have some movies in mind for us to talk about, like I said, Judas and Nomad land and maybe that Barb and star go to castle to Mar. Ooh, I don't know. Um, Mar, yeah. I don't know if I, I don't know if I can sit through that. <laughs> Or, I'll try. I'll try. Or maybe Flora and Ulysses, that Disney Plus movie with the girl and the squirrel. Yeah. Also, uh, Minari, I'm hearing amazing things about. Yeah, I've heard great things about that. And Yeah, same here. All right. Um, so, Hayden, where can anybody find you online if they want to follow you? I can be found on Twitter at the Hayden Wilder or on Instagram at Hayden Wilder. Awesome. All right. And Jacob? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter. It's Joe Crable, uh, K-R-E-H-B-I-E-L. And I'm also part of the Renegade Pop Culture Facebook group. All right, guys, you can find me at renegadepopculture.com. That's where we have our show notes. It's where we have articles. Um, that's also where we have all of our podcasts are up there, archived as well. Uh, you can listen to us anywhere that you can find podcasts, basically. Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google. Just search for Renegade Pop Culture whenever you visit. And uh, you can find us on Facebook. The Facebook group is facebook.com slash group slash RPC42. And um, I am Neoplasmic24 on Instagram and Steam if you want to add me on Steam. And on Twitter and Facebook, our official pages are at Ren Pop Culture, R-E-N Pop Culture. All right, guys, we will catch you on the next one. Talk to you guys later.